Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 122. I was going to offer Ed the chance to do the intro, but he acted as my boss and said I had to get going and stop stalling. So the last episode we had um, was we actually had a gap where we didn't upload for a Monday there. Um, things were busy with me trying to do this walk, and I was away uh, on Aaron, so it wasn't with Ed. And I kind of wanted to keep the whole all-in dynamic still me and him sort of in person so we did miss one but not to worry the last episode we had was of Will Evans and if you do like agricultural podcasts um, he's the man that sort of started it. Uh, rock and roll farming <clears throat> is what his podcast is called he's big on the sort of ag twitter side of things a thing that I've never really done until this man here took the reins of the R2K twitter and um, so if you don't follow it jump over He's, uh, he's, he's very active, actually, probably more active than me, in fairness, so he's doing well. Um, so that'll be an interesting one with Will. I've been saying for about the last four episodes, the next episode is going to be Heidi Wilson. There's just been a few things bouncing back and forward, and it hasn't happened, but Heidi is the current second fittest female farmer. There we are for the Farmers Weekly Brit, uh, Britain's Fittest Farmer competition. Yeah, a CrossFit vet, heard of her? Yeah, no, <coughs> no, she, um, you'll, yeah, she's good. Like, she's doing it again this year. She was second at Highland, <coughs> as right, the, the qualifiers so yeah. is going down. Yeah, sorry, Scotland's second, is what I mean. Yeah, um, so yeah, really, really good uh podcast coming up there. Very She'll cool. talk about um neurodiversity. She'll talk about the fact she lost her dad really young and she's sort of used that uh, moving into becoming a vet. And she's only sort of finished in either first year or second year of vet school, so. Quite an inspirational uh, young lady there, <clears throat> and a lot of other ones coming up in the pipeline as well. But today is an all-in series, and we're travelling about as far across the world as we possibly can. And before I introduce today's guest, I'm going to say a little thing that I, <clears throat> I will hold my hands up and say I was a wee bit rude to Ed because I called him some naughty things and said he was an idiot because he told me when we arranged this that our guest was eight and a half hours ahead, behind, ahead, ahead. And I was like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Time zones work in hours. And he was like, I'm almost certain he did. And I, I was pretty nasty to you. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I was, yeah. I, I didn't it didn't just make me doubt myself. I was like, <laughs> I've been an idiot. <laughs> you did, in fairness. And I, I'd even Googled it. <laughs> and I still thought Google's wrong. <laughs> I did post the, the text as well. You did well, as well, yeah. I made a complete fool of myself. So yeah. that was on me. But it turns out that is actually the case. We were filming this at 17 minutes past seven in the evening. And then uh, our... So thank you. 17 minutes past nine in the evening here in Scotland. And our uh, guest, which I've just found out, I didn't realise this until we basically hit record, is just after five in the morning. So coming up for 20 past five in the morning. So that's really blown my mind. But that's an interesting one um, that we'll probably get into at some point later on because I did not expect that. 10 to 6. <clears throat> Sorry? 10 to 6. He's eight and a half hours. Of course, yeah, it's not eight hours, so it should yeah, be 18 yeah. past... It's just blown my mind. I yeah. feel like I'm focusing on this too much. Yeah. We'll introduce our guest. Um, our guest today is uh, Duncan Pickering, a friend of Ed's. So I'll let Ed do the next part. But Duncan, could you say hello first? How you going, guys? Done this before? Yeah, ah, no, no. First time. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. Um, I think we'll just start off like, uh, I'll let you go for it. Just going to, how we actually... Um, met basically um i think that's a good place to start because obviously you've lived in australia your whole life i've lived in scotland so it's quite an uncommon thing so i'll just let you how did we... Uh, how we met you said yeah yeah ah uh, sweet yeah i was um at a boarding school in townsville at the time and our school does a two yearly or every two years we do a a rugby netball trip to obviously your part of the world 
And we travelled around a bit of England first. I think we went and played in Wales, which we absolutely demolished Wales. So don't worry about playing them if you ever do. Um, and then we come up to, yeah, come up to, to Scotland and headed down towards Dumfries, I believe it was. And then we were still billeting out to families. And then someone's like, oh, like you and Sam are heading to this place. I was like, I've got no idea who these people are, but let's do it. And then someone's like, oh, they apparently live on a farm. And I was like, that's awesome. I was like, I'm all in. So, yeah, we uh, headed out. And I think you guys picked us up from the, I can't remember the name of the closest town, but yeah, you guys. Yeah, Dumfries, and you guys picked us up and took us back. It was really, really good, and that's how. So it was your older brother Tom, I believe it was. Oh. So yeah, we were meant to play him, and we did. And it's sort of yeah, I think I nearly got on better with you and hung out. But he went and saw the place that you had, which is really, really cool. Still vividly remember. I think Sam stood in some of the cow shit, which is absolute gold. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's. Jeez, how long ago was that? I think I was 15. So it was like, what, two years ago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it was seven years ago. Uh, I was trying to think back before. I think it was seven years yeah, ago. Right. Um, so, Dang. Duncan, you were you were pretty quick to say you beat the Welsh team. How did it go against Dumfries? I actually can't remember the score. Uh, uh, I, I don't remember the score, but there's two things I vividly remember. One, we didn't win, but to be fair, most of our guys were all 16 because it's because uh, it's every two years you have to take the younger guys to make numbers. So we were rolling with a few dudes who were a bit younger, which is not really an excuse because they were still pretty good. Anyway, we lost. And I think, I think it was maybe uh, 7 to 21 or 7 to 23 or something like that. So it was a bit, it was a bit of a touch up. And I do remember I got a really like horrifying pass from our halfback and who should be in front of me except for bloody Ed's brother, Tom, and folded me like a wet blanket. (laughs) But no, it was really really good to be there and obviously great part of the world. So hopefully be back over eventually. I think it sort of happened quite quickly on this pod. We're just saying off camera is that sort of the rugby influence with you coming on, obviously. And I've got a question. It's probably for both of you boys. It is for both of you. With a lot of sports, you're sort of, your game develops as you go on, don't you? And that, like, you're sort of, the rules that are followed are slightly different as you move up. And I assume this is definitely the case with rugby, sort of starting with touch and moving up. Just for background, Duncan, I I don't know rugby at all. Uh, (laughs) Was there any difference in the game that you would be playing at that stage in Australia compared to what you played here? Or would it be the same game? I think, I think it's like we were definitely a lot more structured coming over there because, well, we were under the influence that you guys play, you know, pretty tight and very structured. Whereas sort of Australia, we play a lot of like chicken scratch football, like can be very, you know, backdoorish, like you know, a lot of handoffs and that. It's not, you know, picking. It's it's yeah. I think our rugby in Australia is very unstructured compared to what I saw over there. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a kind of northern hemisphere to southern hemisphere type of thing. You see that at all levels, right. like national levels as well. Um, but when you I think that's because of the weather a lot of the time as well, isn't it? Like you're playing a yeah. lot of weather, it's easier to throw these off a little bit drier and that. So. Uh, okay. Um, I think that's where it come from. But like you look at England, how they normally play compared to New Zealand or Australia, like it's a very different style of rugby. Okay. 
Um, is one better? Nah. Like, it's more fun to watch the Southern Hemisphere and more right. style. But, like, South Africa play the same kind of way as England. And it's maybe a bit more boring, but it usually wins, like, them tighter games, I suppose. As things are, right now, today, whatever that is, that is the... 12th of July 2023 who wins in a game between Scotland and Australia Australia right would you disagree (laughs) even I know one thing we have just lost Stuart Hogg and I assume that means something nah okay nah Eddie Jones is a bottler mate yeah well to be fair I haven't followed rugby in a while I've been a bit sad I um I did my ACL my left ACL again probably last year, and that sort of completely wrote off me playing rugby ever again. So I've not really watched too much of it these days. Maybe I should, because I absolutely love rugby, but, yeah, I've been a bit sad about it. It's tough watching yeah, it when you know tough. you can't get involved if you want to get involved. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's very Did you average. do that ACL playing rugby? No. So our first one I did, so I was 19, I did my ACL and then got that all sorted. And then it was fine for a couple of years. And then I was at work and we were sort of doing, so it's called, um, actually, I don't even know what it stands for. ACL. Um, uh, No, not ACL. So we're doing like um, a thing at work. It's sort of like hand-to-hand combat through rooms and stuff. And we're doing that. And I was in the fight suit because I was one of the bigger guys there. So I put on the fight suit and the helmet and the gloves and it's just punching the hell out of everyone. It was really fun, actually. And then... Sort of towards the end of the day, we were doing like a, a big sort of run through and someone tackled me from the right side and I, I didn't see them coming. And we're all in uh, body armor and stuff. And I went to sort of like brace into it, but him coming so fast and all that weight, my knee just went snapped. Oh, no. yeah, that was, it was even worse. So we're on the army base at the time and it would have been like two o'clock in the Arvo and we tried to call like our health center. And be like, oh, like, can you come pick me up? And they didn't answer. Like, they'd knocked off for the day. Right. Unreal. Yeah. So we've got a, there's also a 24-hour ward there. So I was like, mate, I was like, man, just drive me to the ward. I was like, I was like, there's something wrong. I know what it is. So he drove me to the ward. And then these, like, ward nurses, like, rolled out with a, um, a wheelchair. And I was like, what the hell is that? And they're like, oh, like, hop in. I was like, mate, like, I'm not a cripple. Right. Like, I'm, I'm not getting in that bloody wheelchair. I was like, bring me some crutches or something. They're like, oh, we don't have any. So I said to my mate, I was like, grab an arm. I was like, I'm walking in. So my mate helped me walk in there. I was like, I'm not getting in your wheelchair. So no, a bit obviously a bit stubborn, but I'm just surprised he's not saying to me, you normally clock off at two o'clock or something like that. As it's yeah. So, yeah, yeah. By. You're doing a lot more hours um, with the podcast and fairness. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's picking up. Thanks, um, appreciate it. Working yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Fifty-eight seconds. So and what it wasn't ligaments, was it? What no, nah, it wasn't ligament. I've I don't to my knowledge, I've never had ligament issues, but I've had four ops in my left knee. Jesus, <laughs> what'd you do? It was <laughs> draw you the story because it's that do you know what? As things go about me, it's probably the coolest story there is. Um yeah, I can't think of anything better in fairness. So do you remember it? You won't remember this, Duncan. I assume no, not I assume you won't. In March, <laughs> March 2013, so 10 years ago this year, there was a snow. I don't think it hit them freeze. 
But I mean, like the snow. Maybe. If we were looking out of this window, the snow would be at that top window. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like it was snow, snow. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I was twelve family. years old, so memories a bit hazy. <laughs> Still not happy. Uh, sorry, that wasn't when he was twelve. That's just now. Um, the <laughs> the snow came down, and we were on a farm, and it's like ten days before lambing's supposed to kick off, and it was just a nightmare. Like the amount of dead stock was horrible. But anyway. There's like a ring feeder and it was maybe like a kilometre from the farm and I'd went up and there were seven sheep had basically been drowned by the snow. They got stuck in the ring feeder, snow came up, right? And there was one that was still alive and I took it out, popped it my shoulder and walked back down to the farm. And there was like snow was so high you couldn't see gateposts or gateways or anything like that. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know the farm well enough. Like I'll walk through this gateway. Which I did, but I was perfectly on top of the fence post and I fell right through, cracked my knee off the fence post, right? Um, and tore cartilage. So now, now I've had two partial meniscectomies, which is like basically partial cartilage removals and then two <coughs> cartilage repairs. So that's what's happened Shit. to me. Yeah, I've got about no 15%, maybe 10% cartilage left. They yeah. say if, you, if your cartilage is your index finger, you have about half a nail, is what I was told. Um, so basically, not enough. yeah, I, I hear it's less than you're supposed to have. So now, ACL is supposed to be the worst, though. I think ACL yeah. is the worst thing you can do to your knee. Right. How long were you out for the ACL? Um, so the second time round, they the army actually said, Oh, you're better off, like, probably medically discharging. And I was like, Nah, like, get so you're entitled 12 months to get better. And because, like, we're very low on numbers now, they're like, Oh. If you're not better by 12 months, we can extend it to like, you know, six months pass. Right. But within 12 months, I was ready to go sort of, you know, get your knee done. And so and when you're in defense, you get free, like free medical, free dental, free physios. So you can just like utilize a physio whenever you need. So I got better pretty quickly. Like once a week, I was seeing a physio and a lot of weights, which is which is good for the, the healing. The first time I did my knee, I was better in eight months. <laughs> but I don't know if it's because I was younger or at the time I was sort of itching to get back into work and into rugby. So I hopped on um, peptides. So somewhat juiced as, as people would say. And yeah, within eight months I was, I was rigid, ready to go. And I was really good. That's, that's impressive to be fair. For yeah. me, so that's very impressive. Um, t- tell us kind of after school, where did life take you after that? Uh, so I left left high school in 2015, um, and then I went home to the to the farm for a little bit just to sort of understand where I wanted to go because I knew I wanted to enlist in the army. But my dad was always pretty stern about me getting an apprenticeship first, you know, like a mechanic or something like that. Which which honestly, sound advice that I probably should listen. But who who listens to their dad at 17? Let's be realistic. So I went to, to Brisbane to live with my brother and I sort of did a bit of laboring with a guy like building, building fences for like pony clubs and stuff like that. Um, so I did that for a little bit. And then to my, to my credit, I actually went to a job interview uh, to be a mechanic, but the guy was late actually. And he was a bit, he's a bit of an asshole during the interview. And I just thought, ah, oh, well, like, I'll bring it forward and then within the next probably two months I did all the paperwork and then enlisted into the army 2016 so I was would have been 18 and three months 
So I did that and yeah, enlisted and spent the next seven years bloody in in the army, which is which is good. What age are you, Duncan? I cannot get uh, it. 25. 25, right. It's going to be the same age as my brother, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I'm going to ask the question. You're, you're sporting a hell of a beard, and Ed, what's what's happening? <laughs> I just shaved. Swear to God. <laughs> oh, I thought this was like your beard story. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm shaving like every two days now. Why? Um, what do, you, do you shave for work? Or is uh, that no, I just... I hate having stubble. I just find it itchy. I shave every two days as well. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do like Duncan, have a guess. Go for it. What age do you think? Age, that? you definitely seem more mature than Ed. I'd probably put you in the bracket of 28. I was 26. Well, well, I'm well, definitely well. more mature than him. I mean, I'm not <laughs> setting a high standard, to be fair. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I don't set a high standard either. I'm very immature at 25, so... Nah, here you've got to have an immature side. You can yeah, be absolutely. real and you can be serious, but you've got to have a bit of a crack in the side. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You um we'll we'll get into army in a bit, eh, Duncan, but you're sitting here with a guy from a beef and sheep farm and a guy from a <clears throat> from a dairy and beef farm. You mentioned you went back to the farm. Is that a home farm? Is that mum and dad's farm? What's the story there? Yeah. Yeah, that's a family farm. So my brother and sister, we're like the sort of fifth generation. Um, to come off to come out of beef so we've got a station in northern Queensland um, sort of in the Gulf country like you probably won't know where it is but it's completely out in the sticks it's a long way from anywhere really um, so yeah grew up there pretty much, obviously my whole life it was all beef um, that's pretty much all that can can happen up there but I think sheep are starting to come up there now as well which is interesting to see especially uh, seeing merinos that far north is very odd um, but yeah, just go and give us some numbers. Give yeah. us some size. I mean, you call it a station. It's always a station. I love this. Have you noticed so this? Cool, yeah. Australia and so New Zealand. Cool. We I had someone, <clears throat> someone on the podcast, I think it was episode 64, uh, Philippa Cameron, who writes books about life on a farm, a station in New Zealand. Uh-huh. And I was like, so Philippa, what size is the farm? And she's like, eh. So we're not 100% sure, but it's either 41 or 42,000 hectares. <laughs> that's wild. I was like, that's the size of Aaron. Like, that's yeah. insane. So I'm assuming it's not that size, Duncan, but what size roughly is, is it? Uh, so in acres, about 110,000. Okay, so it's double. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. I'm trying to figure that out. How many cattle? Because I assume it's very sparsely. Because uh, uh, the land is pretty, pretty rough, I think. Total, we run about 3,000 head of cattle. That's mental. Are you trying yeah, to take hectares of it? I just want to have a comparison of like what. So, what did you say 110,000 acres? Yeah. 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 So, Scotland's 7.87 million hectares. So, it's about a 210th of Scotland. <laughs> That's mad. That's mad. That's quick maths. Maybe um, something. Yeah. Because I, I remember when you were over, you were like showing the videos. You've got a helicopter home, don't you, to obviously get across that? You'd have to. Uh, no, we we drop we drive it. So when we do like really big cattle musters, you know, you can pick up twelve hundred head of cattle in a day and drive them eighteen kilometers back to yards. But if you're doing like something really big, like yeah, you'll probably um, hire one or two helicopters to help you 
if you're doing like a real big one. So they'll just obviously you'll drive the main main part of it, and then the choppers will run the rest into you. It's mad. I feel like such a mug, man. I was setting up like forty thousand. I'll never be that size. Yeah. Basically, exact same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, it won't even be uncommon though in Australia, will it, to have farms of that size? Sorry? It won't even be that uncommon to have farms the same oh. size as that. No, so our our direct neighbour, um, Tabletop, the station's called, is double what we have. I think it's about 345,000 acres. And the neighbour to, across to them has the biggest station in northern Queensland. I think it's like 2.4 million acres. It's a monster. It is. Two point four million acres is a million hectares, which is a seventh of Scotland. Yeah, yeah, it's it is huge. Like more, like I've been there, and it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Like he's got cleared. Sorry, the headphones are a bit dicky sometimes. Um, he's he's cleared land, so he inland dry farms, cotton, sorghum, like all of that sort of stuff. He's cleared 300,000 acres. Like, who, what, who what does that? What kind of cattle is he running? Like, what kind of numbers of cattle is he running? <clears throat> uh, around, uh, from, from last we heard, which I think was maybe a bit of a lie because everyone wants to think, you know, you're doing well. I think he runs close to fifty to 60,000 head of cattle. So much of you, then. <laughs> yeah, all right. James <laughs> by 10,000. <000. laughs> oh, it's... It's absolutely insane. But to be to be fair, if if the land quality was as good as it was there, like you know, you could probably run a cow per acre, whereas up here you're running a cow per like 40 acres. Yeah, it's you know? like density of cattle is nowhere near the same. But no, does, not at all. Does land change hands often, Duncan? You you just said you're a fifth gen. Yeah. Is your is your sister on the farm? Uh so my brother currently is is at home and he's sort of taking over the reins and my sister works a lot there but she does a lot of contract mustering so she travels around to like uh sort of uh company owned places and works for them which is surprisingly pays a lot more than i thought it did um so that's that's interesting to know um oh, but my, my brother's in the pod man that sounds class that well, sounds a really cool, cool story <clears throat> yeah my um yeah, my brother's taken rain, sort of. So because it was, you know, it's it's a pretty big station. However, dad expressed when we were younger, it's not big enough for three children to all make a living and all to live there as adults. So somebody sort of had to had to walk and I, you know, was quite interested in the military. So I I did leave, but like every Christmas holidays, I go home and work. But to be to be fair, like there's not much better than being back on the, on the land and working, working with cattle. It's bloody awesome. And yeah, I, I guess I started this question and jumped another one there. I take it places that size, it's not often that they'll be going up for sale. Like, ah, uh, no, no. Um, because I think, well, any land is quite expensive nowadays, but um, pretty, pretty much if you get out of it, so if we sold our place and left the land, like you sort of couldn't come back into it because it's too expensive. So you sort of, well, I hate to say you sort of have to either come from money or come from like, you know, old money where back in the day you could buy that side of, sort of land for like, you know, 25 cents because it was cheap. Um, but uh, Strathmore, like the place I was telling you about, the 2.4 million acres, that changed hands probably only eight or nine years back because 
um, the guy who bought it is just an absolute workaholic. Like to his credit, he's an absolute freak at working and his parents are some of the best grain growers in Australia. So he came from good money, um, you know, which obviously helped him, but he's done a hell of a thing there. Like who, who clears 300,000 acres of land to dry farm? Like my God. <laughs> that, that is mad. Like, yeah, I do, yeah, mental. I'm just looking <clears> at him. <throat> uh, yeah. He actually can't get head around like how big that is. It's, it's silly. He's got a shed there that, that he put in and you can pretty much turn like, you know, obviously not a semi-trailer is like a big yeah. truck full of bloody whatever. He can you can pretty much turn around in that shed in one of those. It is yeah. huge. He's got a loader. He actually um he paid the mines for a loader and it's got a 36 meter square bucket on it. It is what? Yeah, it's it's got it's got a it's sort of got like a small engine above every wheel that all connect to the main engine under the cab. It's a freak. It's two big slowly tankers. Wow, that's 36. 36 meter square bucket. Yeah, I think oh, it's, it's, it is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Yours will be. You'll probably uh, uh, We've got three. Yeah. Yeah. We've got three. <laughs> that's, that, this, that's, that's this room. Maybe more. Six. Maybe more. Probably. Oh, that's mental. <laughs> um, <laughs> Holy moly. That's insane. Yeah. Well, well maybe um, that'll probably be enough farming chat. When yeah, you send me all <laughs> I know because we try we try and keep them a little bit separate and um, these ones to actually farming, but I I, I knew it was kind of big scale, uh, <laughs> so I had to ask. No, uh, no. So tell us, so you joined the army when you're 18. Um, well, what what was the kind of training like actually? Uh, I'll ask that to start with. Uh yeah yeah so I enlisted at 18, which is honestly like the normal age. Uh, for any military like if you're say like 25 or even at your age right now Ed, like if you join the army right now like go through basic training you'd be old yeah. like yeah people are like oh what are you doing here so old like it's weird um so you go through all of that that process um to getting in a lot of paperwork they just want to know your life story before getting in um and then you travel down to Wagga Wagga New South Wales which is like the the home of the soldier, as they say. Sorry, can you say that name again? That sounded class. Wagga Wagga. Wagga, fantastic. That's yeah, it's just W A G G A W A G G A. Terrible that, mate. If if you if you ever get bored, look up like silly town names Australia. There's some. <laughs> yeah. Well, off, just off the top of my head, there's like Nana Goon, Wooden Bong. There's a place called Banana. Wooden Bong is that like four twenty? Yeah, Wooden Bong. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah it's absolutely right um but yeah you had to, you had to basic training which when i went through in 2016 was still like 80 days long and it's it it is a shock to the system getting there but like i came out of a boarding school so it wasn't like incredibly bad but you're like rolling on the bus you're all you know like not knowing what to expect and you pull up in front of a building and somebody gets on and just says um you say i'm corporal so-and-so welcome to Kapuka. this is where it begins and then they just get into you they're just like get off like they get off the effing bus get down here yeah they like get into you and like it does scare you because you know you know absolutely nothing about that world so they get you like all lined up and kind of tell you which companies you're going to for training and 
from there, yeah, you just like go. Then you meet people for the first time. You know, you walk into like your assigned bedroom and it's got four beds, and you've got to meet these other dudes who are also just as scared. And you're like a quick introduction of yourself, and you're like, all right, let's let's strap in for it. And then you know, you spend eighty days together, um, doing so sort of just learning the absolute basics of soldiering, like how to make a bed how to iron your uniform, how to march, how to shoot a, well, I've been shooting rifles my whole life, but how to shoot a rifle, you know, how to polish your brass, like just weird shit like that, yeah. Is, I'm actually going to ask a question and have to go away for a second because I need to drink of water, my throat is killing me. Um, is there many folk that bow out at that stage? Because like you're saying, like you're in that bus, you, you, you've never said boot a goose before, you've never left home before, you have obviously boarding school, but, and then suddenly this guy's like, bang, going for it. Is there quite oh, a high yeah. at that point? Yeah, I think mo or well, our platoon at least, so you get a platoon of say 40, you could probably expect to lose five or more. Right, okay. Like a, a lot of people, yeah, just um, either can't hack it and like miss, miss mummy and daddy or... They some of some people do have kids and sort of like you know the paternal maternal instincts are too strong and they sort of bow out for that reason, which is absolutely fair enough. And then you do have the oddballs who are just you know, for all words, just a pussy, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. Um, yeah, um, where uh, so after your training, where did it kind of take you after that? Well, unfortunately, they like to double up on training. So you finish your your basic training at uh, Kapuka, which everyone does regardless of core or job. And then you go infantry specific, go to uh, Singleton, um, New South Wales, so not too far from Newcastle. And you spend, I think it's bloody, <clears throat> maybe about the same amount of time, if not a bit less there. And you do everything sort of trade specific. So you focus on like uh, weapons, tactics patrolling um sort of the stuff you like you know you ever watch an army movie sort of and it's just like you focus on what the grunt does so that's basically what we learn like how to be a grunt how to do our job specific and that's that's a lot harder than kapuka like they absolutely put the put the hurt on you they treat you like an adult which is nice but at the same time the pt's worse and just if, if, if you step out of line or if like your whole, if so one person in your platoon does something wrong, you all will suffer. And it's, you spend a lot of time doing push-ups out on the parade ground, which is, you know, I, we, we loved it because, you know I mean? Like you're young, you got nothing else going on, they're paying you. So, you know, it's pretty good. Is, is there, there must be a pretty strong team mentality, but also if there's one of those people that is the person that's causing you to to suffer, as you say, is there like a sort of pack mentality against them? Like I'm basing all these questions on things, mm-hmm. media and stuff like that. So no, you, they're you know. very, very valid point. Um, so it, it gets to a point. So once you're like, come on, mate, like we'll square you away. Like we'll help you out. And, you know, like a piece of rope isn't that long, depending where you cut it. So patience will wear thin. Like if you keep making the same mistake five, six, seven times, like you get to a point where you're like the problem isn't going to be the section commanders. It's going to be us. Like, you know, we'll just get into you about it. And like, you'll pro- like, I hate to use the word bully, but you were strongly encouraged to, you know, fix your actions. Um, because, because yeah, well, people's patience wears thin sort of. And a, a thing that I learned 
through having it done to me and the best way to sort of teach people how to get out of a bad habit. So let's say Ed does something wrong and instead of punishing him, you and I get punished. So Ed sits there and watches us do push-ups for half an hour and he just has to stand there and watch. And it's all about, you know, sort of breaking his mind saying, well, I feel like an absolute garbage person because my two friends are doing push-ups and I'm not sort of thing. So that that sort of approach worked well to fix people's mentality. Were were you ever the guy that did wrong? Oh, God, no. Boarding school had prepared me. I was... Yeah, well... Well, actually, there was a lot more hazing in boarding school than the military for me. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you get to, which is which is awesome, you know. Like, I mean, like, it gave you it gave you structure. Like, you get to boarding school in like grade eight, so you're thirteen. There's four of you to a room, and then like you're you're the bottom of the barrel. You're thirteen, and you got seventeen year olds just lurking behind every corner. And you know what I mean? They'll come into your room and be like you know, pay me the tax of a muesli bar. If you don't have a muesli bar, then they're, they're going to get into you. You know what I mean? Did that, Which, set up, did that set you up well for the military then? So you're saying you weren't the guy, but I, I always feel like boarding school must be really tough for kids. Um, uh, I would say it, it, it can be depending on where you go. But like in saying that, I absolutely loved boarding school. Was, I still look back at it as one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, you make really good mates and you're like, you know what I mean? You imagine locking 80 guys away together. The mischief is just unheard of. Um, but it, it is a very sort of, you know, know your place sort of world because you are with older guys who aren't afraid to like smack the hell out of you if you step out of line. So, you know, I sort of un- understood my place very early on at 13 and then when you get up to the dizzying heights of grade 12 and you're sort of the big dog then you return the favor but (laughs) by that by that age like a lot of guys went from playing rugby to just playing on their computers all day so we kind of got in a bit more trouble if we went (laughs) down and like harassed them um but when I first like got to boarding school um, pretty much the seniors said, like, we're going to rugby training tonight. We expect you all to be there and you will only play for one team and that's the team we play for. So you're like, sweet, I'm all in. And so the whole boarding house at that point, so you got 80 blokes. We all went to rugby training. We all played for the same team. Well, because yeah, you pretty much weren't allowed to play for anyone else, but you know what I mean? Like, it was awesome. Like, there was a, a strong, strong rugby culture there that sort of went downhill quite quickly. Um as the age of technology came in and I guess boys got more interested in computer games but I have a really weird question <clears throat> which is then only one or two every yeah. every episode yeah there's always a curveball now and then you've spent essentially your whole life from 13 to probably the the start of base camp base training sorry basic training sorry and only surrounded by guys how do you how yeah. do, was, was there a struggle sort of socialising with, with females, I guess, coming up to the sort of 16, 17 age? Because that's that sort of 13, 12, 13, 14 is like such a, an important time to learn social skills. Was speaking to girls a difficult thing? And I don't mean like speaking to girls in that sense. I mean, was it difficult speaking to someone that wasn't a guy? So, so I was pretty lucky. So my school was co-ed. So there was girl boarders, but they were like on the other side of the school. Like they'd separated them. 
which is fair enough because you know what I mean. But I, I would say like for, for sure, you know, like 13, 14, like who knows how to talk to girls? Nobody still don't know how to talk to girls. And I've got a fiance, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but no, like it wasn't too bad because like we studied pretty much most nights. So like, you know, being the sneaky kids that you are, if there was a girl you liked, you sort of just send her a text and be like, hey, like, look, at this time, meet me here at the art block. So you could go and, you know, do whatever young kids do at that sort of time. Yeah. Um, but no, it wasn't wasn't too bad. I think I think it was beneficial to be at a co-ed boarding school rather than all boys. I think all boys boarding schools, like you said, like probably a bit of a the downfall is that they have zero idea how to talk to a female. Yeah, and I mean like the, the same uh, all girls schools with with guys as well. I, I know it sounds like a weird question, but it's genuine interest. I know a few yeah. folk, have, but I don't personally know. I know of a few folk that have been through that, and, and that's been a struggle. But, so why don't you know to talk to girls? Uh, because uh, I am very shy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I <can> speak to <laughs> guys. <laughs> <laughs> you that's that's that. What's that? But yeah, yeah. it probably like it's lucky I've got a I've got a partner. But you know, talking to females is terrifying. So I completely understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So after your um, basic training, where did the where did the army take you after that? After you'd finished the two camps, uh, finished those, and so when you're about, I'd say three quarters of the way through the second lot of training, they sort of give you a list of places you can go, and it was either Adelaide, Brisbane, Townsville, or Darwin, and. I didn't want to go back to Townsville because I'd been there. Brisbane's too big of a city for me. So I was like, I'll go to Darwin. I was like, seems like a good place to be. So yeah, they you fly up to like your battalion, um, which like for me was was Darwin. You get picked up at the airport um, and they take you, like they drive you back to the base and like seeing, seeing like seeing a like a proper military base for the first time, like, you know, one that wasn't just, training because most of the training establishments are sort of just like a bit of all fluff no go you will give me a sec no worries it's really cool like i mean like like duncan said there you know he's been in a situation where he's been i'm going back to the thing we we're talking about just the the fact that the the benefit of even though um guys over here girls over there that's still sort of that togetherness still is a benefit because the the social skills missed and one that is just single gender is yeah. it's mental but sorry don't could just fill it in no, sorry about that. um <clears throat> so yeah you got got to darwin and all i i uh, the second i got here to now i absolutely love darwin in the northern territory it is just i'd say it's 30 years behind any place i've ever been to which makes it awesome it's just the wild west anything goes here like it is just absolute chaos um but so i got to my unit and you have to do like a sort of like a two you meant to do two weeks climatization because it's hot and then like before you go to your company but that it was only sort of like you meant to do it but i got sent straight to my company um bravo company 5rr and you learn very quickly that you are back to being that small fish in a very large pond because so my battalion at the time had no female infantry uh, soldiers. So, and we were pretty well stocked at the time. So you're talking 700, 750 guys and like just 
you know, for the most part, because like you have your oddballs that are like, you know, overweight and sort of on their way out. But for the most part, you've got dudes who are just absolute studs. <laughs> and I rocked up at, at 19 years old, 85 kilos, like not knowing what's going on. And it was a shock to the system. Yeah. And like, you know, you'd walk past a bunch of dudes and you'd like look at them and then they'd just scream at you. You're like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, but it was it was awesome. Like zero regrets on on joining and I got there and automatically loved it. Like my oh actually, it was interesting. My first experience with another soldier uh at five hours, I walked towards my company and I had to see the the sergeant and the lieutenant. So I talked to them, introduced myself, like whatever. And I walked out of the office and there's a another soldier whose his name is Mitch Simpson, who wasn't a bad bloke, he's just a bit silly. Um, come up to me and I was like, G'day, like, g'day, how are you? And his first words to me was like, Oh, we've got another nigger in the platoon. And I was like, I was like, hold up, what? Honestly. Yeah, and I was I was because like there was another another Aboriginal there as well, um, who was a really good dude. But I like kind of looked at him, I was like, I was like, look, I was like, get to know me. And then say whatever you like. Like I'm, I'm cool with it. But I was like, I was like, those can't be the first words that you say to me. They just cannot be. And he's like, you're right. And I was like, yeah, I'm right. I was like, get out of here. That's terrible. But um, is that a mentality in the army? Is that a, no, not at, not uh, at all. It's just uh, that individual guy is a bit of a, a bit of a loose cannon sometimes. Um, how, how did he? Uh, this is. Uh, I feel this because I've. I always love, there's two places I absolutely love the respect. One's the army and one's going to be a really weird answer here, but I love the respect in prisons, right? I feel there's a real respected hierarchy, but I mean, we're not talking about prison here, but you're judging me. I know you're judging me, but yeah. I, I'll explain it to you later. Yeah. <clears throat> Is that guy, like like you're, you're talking there, I think his name was Mitch, did he have trouble with everyone else? Were folk like, come on, mate, you know, let's... Uh... I'd say he had he obviously had friends, but he wasn't well rounded. Like he couldn't get on with everyone. Cause um, I don't know if you ever heard the saying, but like it, you could probably translate it to teaching a rugby. Say you go to a new place to teach, the first person or the first teacher that comes up to speak to you probably isn't somebody that you really want to be friends with. The first person out of a group to approach you and be friendly, generally, I think falls short with friends somewhere else. So they're automatically looking for the fresh target. And that's how we always looked at it. The first guy to come talk to you, probably avoid. Yeah, no, I, I can think of a few examples of that, to be fair. Yeah. yeah very... I'm always the person that goes up and says hello. Am I the bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're, you're, you're the dude who are over-friendly. But at the, same, at the same time, like, defence is a very... Um, yeah, first lady it's stuff. it's just a beast. Like you you learn where you stand very quickly, and obviously, like you got the hierarchical structure. Which at the time, like I was a private, and you got private lance corporal, corporal sergeant, word of like you are absolute bottom of the barrel dog shit. Yeah, and FNG. like is that what you call it? FNG? No, FNG. If I said that wrong, fucking new guy. Is that a ter- oh, is, okay. that, is that a fake term? Uh, no, so our so our lowest ranks are called privates, obviously, but our like our like derogatory term for them we call them leads. Right. Okay. Right. Got yeah. It. Is it yeah. an American thing? FNG definitely has a thing somewhere. 
I've never heard it. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Um, <clears throat> one thing that always interests me about any of these divisions, whether it's Army, whether it's Air Force, whether it's Marines, anything, is we see all this stuff in media, films, whatever. What are you training for? What were you training for, Duncan? Because some people will never travel internationally in the military, but some are based solely in one place. What What was your goal and what, what did you end up doing? Um, at the risk of sounding just like absolutely off the rails but for me personally I know like a lot of people at the time like so we're infantry like we are we are the fighting force of a military um regardless of how sophisticated everything becomes you need boots on grounds and we were boots um so for myself and basically for a lot of others it was honing honing simple skills patrolling shooting all those sorts of things just honing them to a sharp point and becoming basically the most efficient killers we could be. Right. And that's what it was all about. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that pretty much that that's what it all was, was focus on being <laughs> a very tight knit group that were very capable at war fighting if we needed to. So you had a team and you would only ever be with them. Is that right? No matter where you were. Um, so <laughs> when you start off, you start with your so within a company, like there's substructures. So you've got a section, a platoon, a company, and it so it sort of starts small and grows larger, um, like this this structure does. So you'll I was in Bravo Company uh for I'd say three years. And in that time, my section and my like section commander only changed once. So you're with the same dudes a lot, and you spend a lot of time with those dudes. Like you go out field for training exercises and you spend three or four weeks you like you won't shower you barely sleep the food's very average because you're eating like you know sort of like the ration packs um and you, you spend a lot of time so su- i think suffering with people or doing things that are very hard with people is the best way to become friends yeah no i i can uh like can relate in that to rugby i i feel that's a kind of way that rugby you get so close and tight knit with like your teammates because you're like you're putting your body like to places that are pretty painful at times and like 15 in the pitch are all doing that for each other to reach the same goal and I think everyone can it never gets said but everyone knows that so you're like absolutely and it's um like damn it, like my mentality from the rugby pitch basically to the army never changed. I was always essentially ready to die on the rugby pitch. I was like, let's go, like I'll go until someone kills me. And it's the same thing for when I was in defense for any one of my mates is sort of like, oh well, I love you enough that you know, should should it come to it, I'll die for you as long as you're gonna do it for me, sort of thing. Yeah. Um but I got pretty fortunate. So I, on the back end of my time at Bravo Company, I deployed to Iraq um, as a part of a group there. And but it, it was it was really really good, and I loved every second of it. Um, I'd go I'd go back in a heartbeat. But we were basically there to train train Iraqi soldiers. So we weren't really in a kinetic role. We were sort of training, mentoring them, so they could go and do it. Because that's the way sort of uh, it, it it panned out for us which was all right. So, but my job while I was there was a quick reaction force. So we did a few small jobs. Um, we do security, security escorts for officers and stuff. So you just like drive them out to like their meeting with uh, Iraqi generals. So you just roll out and you're 
unarmored Mitsubishi Pajero that was American made. So you're on the wrong side of the car or driving on the wrong side of the road. And like, you know, and like Iraq, like where we were anyway, I think we're about 15K north of Baghdad. It was just the whole place smells like shit. And there's just rubbish everywhere, remnants of the like you'll you'll drive downtown or like drive out to a meeting and you'll see broken down tanks on this like the side of the road, rubbish everywhere, like broken down tanks, like destroyed buildings. And you're like driving, you you got your body armor on, you got like your pistol there, and you got like your rifle sitting between your lap, blaring motley crew, like you know what I mean? Good times, good times all around. It sounds like that's insane to think of. Like, just try to picture that and image that. Like it sounds like your time in Iraq was was for the most part positive. But and feel free not to answer these questions if you don't want Duncan, because it's it could be quite quite deep. But what is Iraq? Iraq's a place that probably in our lifetime is the place that we've thought war zone. That or Afghanistan is probably the yeah. same. And, and recently, in the last probably ten years and more so two years, Ukraine. But <clears throat> what's it like as, as a country, you know, not as a war zone? It sounds like you weren't in the war zone. It sounds like you were in the country. What's it like in that sense? You, you said it smells like shit. Um, <clears throat> I, from my personal understanding, I think pe- people are people. People all care about the same things. Just like I care about waking up in the morning, you know, say going to work, having food, they care about the same things. And for the most part, they want the same things. There's just a few bad eggs like there is everywhere. Um, Iraq's very unfortunate because it's it's stuck between two superpowers being, say, Iran and Saudi Arabia, both of who don't like each other, but they don't want to risk open conflict. So they let it play out in the middle country of Iraq, which is called a proxy war. So they wage their fights against each other through Iraq, through all these sub like militant groups, which I think there's like seven or eight militant groups in Iraq. Like it's just plagued full of <clears throat> bad egg moment. Um, I just think Iraq is a very unfortunate uh, breeding ground of two superpowers, not wanting open conflict. So they'll, they'll do it there essentially. But I think people are people and, you know, most people tend to care about the same things, you know, sending their kids to school, making sure there's food on the table sort of thing. It's, I mean, the reason I asked the question is <clears throat> I follow a YouTube channel. I don't know if either of you have heard it, heard of it called Yes Theory. And it's basically, have you heard of that? Yeah, I, I, you've mentioned it before. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. I know you've yeah. If you haven't watched Yes Theory, I strongly encourage you go and put it on and just watch all the videos they have. It's <clears> a <throat> bunch theory, of how it's spelled, Y-E-S Theory. Yeah, so basically, I mean, the name Yes Theory comes from the fact that the guy Thomas Bark, who founded it, Barg, sorry, who founded it, basically came up with the idea, not come up with the idea, we all think it. If you say yes to everything, you will experience a phenomenal life. And I mean, I, I live by saying yes to everything, but this guy goes mental and he's traveled to so many countries. And one of the places he went and he said, and the four of them that were there said it is the friendliest country they've been to as a rock. They said everyone was just down to earth. They had been through the lowest things that some people on this planet had been through and all they wanted to do was positivity. And that's why I asked, um, because I'm aware it's it's not really Iraq that's the war. It's it's like, it's a, like you say, it's like a, a battlefield more than anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Although that the yes theory sounds like to me it's it sounds good in theory, but when you've got friends like I'm sure you and Ed have who will absolutely make it the worst time for you because if you're going to say yes to everything, they'll be like, go get me a beer. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> then I get to go to the bar, so that's a good thing. It's a win. I, I would go out far too much. <clears throat> okay. If I could never say no, I go out too much anyway. Maybe you only say <laughs> yes to a new thing. All right, okay, I can go with that. Yeah. So if I say to you, Ed, go and get a beer, no, because you've probably done it 10 minutes before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that yeah, exactly. 17 times. <laughs> 17? You're about two foot tall. Um, How do you manage that? Oh, no. Nah. <laughs> that was an exaggeration. But, uh, yeah, I think... three feet. <clears throat> yeah, well, that was an exaggeration. But, um, no, I think I was actually on wine on Saturday or something. Oh, that's lethal. Never have wine, man. Or beer. Oh, well, to be fair, <laughs> my mates were like a dozen beers ahead of me. And there was 10 minutes before the taxi got here. I just got in. I was like, what do you do? You're down a bottle of wine. That is never, that is never <laughs> what I think I would do. Yeah, but there's, there's a difference. Like, you get, you get drunk on beer and you just want to talk smack to your mates. Every time I've gotten wine drunk, it's just like I feel really like, Sexy, you know what I mean? Like, I'm really, <laughs> Duncan, you are like, sexy. It's not like, I'm wine, you know, you get you get wine drunk and you're all sorts of in weird places. Like, I like a good bottle of wine too, but you know what I mean? Like, nah, I, would, to yeah, it, I absolutely nailed it. I was on top four, and like, I had the bottle of wine and uh, down the bottle of wine, and then 10 minute taxi into town, uh, and then yeah, maybe a dozen half some organs. And that was pretty much me. How have we went in the same question talking about how know. nice a country that probably doesn't actually condone this? I've got a follow-up. I remember while I was there, I had to drink a dirty pint. Do you still do them? Yes. Yeah. I had to do on it my 21st. And it is. What was in it? Uh, what wasn't in it is the yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was half lager, half cider. Um, and there was a shot of vodka, tequila, uh, Morgans, and then just before I drank it, a shot of Baileys in the top. So you've got lucky because you didn't have coffee greens in there. Oh, no, it was all just like what they could get behind the bar still. Yeah. That's, yeah. So I remember when I was there, like like some of the boys did something similar, except like there was like a bit of haggis floating around in one of them. And I was just like, you know, I've got a sturdy stomach. And then I watched one of the boys just absolutely polish off and it was it was like yeah it was like coffee grounds, beer, cider, bit of haggis. I was like, man, that is rough. Yeah, yeah. This is why yeah. I barely drink. This is the reason I barely drink. Back to topic. I love it. Back to topic. <laughs> Duncan, right? well, yeah, yeah, you've got five years before you get to my stage. But um, where else did you travel? Was Iraq the only international place you were, or were you elsewhere? Yeah, no. Um, unfortunately, that we do a lot of sort of international training stuff with um, other military partners. Um, so but Iraq was my only deployment, so I deployed to the Middle East. We spent a bit of time in Dubai or just outside of Dubai, um, which was pretty cool. But, yeah, Iraq was the only sort of foreign theatre that I, I got to go to, unfortunately. Um, but I've been around, mo- like, a fair bit of Australia with defence, like, doing like random things like training should it be or went down south um a couple of years back for covid when covid was a 
was a thing. We went down there to help out, which was terrible, but yeah. What's what's outside of Dubai like? I mean, Dubai is and everything. Um, so, so there's a, a military base there we use as sort of a staging area. It's called Al Minhad Air Base or just AMAB. So you fly in there and we were there for a bit, so we got a bit of time off. But where we are is sort of like this little military base, but you can see the Burj Khalifa in the distance. But flying into Dubai is a hell of a thing. Like it is a city that appears out of nowhere. Like how they ever did that will blow my mind. But like, you know, you'll say... 20 minutes from the Burj Khalifa and you're at a camel farm eating a camel hot dog. Like how, how far is that out of interest? How far are you from Burj Khalifa? Because it, it's not like you're looking at a cattle shed from 20 minutes away. I mean, it's eight, was it was 969 meters tall or something like that. It's supposed to be a oh, thousand- yeah, probably about probably yeah, bloody 20, 25, 30 K. Probably you're starting to have the coverage of the earth and you still see that tower. That's insane. Um, but we um we got a bit of time off and we went there. Um and we actually yeah went up the Burj Khalifa and had a bit of a look around. It's pretty, pretty cool. But um in the Hall of Emirates there, they've got a they had a blueprint. Somebody else or another company is building a well, a building that's I think it was only like a meter or just less than a meter taller. So they're <laughs> they're doing it out of spite. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But the, yeah. No, but the Burj Khalifa was supposed to be the first thousand, me- first four figure meter building, right? And they, the the way the Burj Khalifa works underground is they've basically got long poles and then poles go through those poles, right? They made them something like it's like three inches too thin, and that's why they lost the forty one meters or something, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's what yeah, happened. Have you seen the wrong. photo of like Dubai forty years ago? Yeah, yeah, it's like, wild. Just looking at it there, like it's wild. There's just nothing. It's just <laughs> yeah. desert. It's it's some. It's an interesting place. Like it's an interesting place. Well, you... Very very friendly. It was. Right. You felt since his houses there is really good. Yeah, yeah. Could you tell us about sort of deployment in Australia, Duncan? That's interesting as well because it's probably the thing you yep. think that's glorified side, if you will. Um. So, yeah. So. So we can just do it. So locally in the territory. So our training ground, uh, Mount Bundy is like a two hour drive from from the base so essentially like you spent you spend about a week prepping or like you know you know a lot in advance but you sort of get all your vehicles ready and then you just like in convoys you drive out there which is usually a bit of a spectacle for all the civilians because they're like oh like what's going on like is there a war it's like no we're going to training you know this you see us all the time um so you head out there and I'd say it's well planned, but it never is. It's just, oh, it's just chaos. But you get out there, you usually square all your stuff away, and then you sort of have a day to prepare everything. And then you go, like we call it, into the box. You go into training, and it's like you hand your phones in, like no, none of that. You you're cammed up. You've got all your equipment, and then like it's sort of just like live action role play. That's essentially it. Like they give you a mission. So sort of like we want you to clear from this grid to this grid and then you spend all your time like practicing sort of like patrolling, like working as team sort of stuff. Um, it is, it's very, it's very fun to do. Like, you know, you just get to get out there and bang it in with your mates. But I think the longest I ever went without a shower was maybe 35, 36 days without a shower. But like you carry, you carry baby wipes, which is like your little token. Like you can take like, if you can carry it, you can take it basically. Like 
within reason. You're not taking a swag with you, but you know, like you take some baby wipes and every day or every two days, give yourself a little wipe down and that's as clean as you will be the whole time. Sounds like my average lemon team, if you're honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 35 days, man. That's a, that's while. a long way. That's a long go without a shower. And this is Australia Even mentally, heat. Like, Australia heat. Yeah, I know. <coughs> like, I know sometimes, like, mentally, like, how much better you feel after you've mm-hmm. had my shower, isn't it? Oh, and, yeah, so, so there's a, it's a pretty fun one. We um we went to Shoalwater Bay down near Rockhampton on the East Coast. They um they pretty much flew the whole battalion in a single flight. It was one of, like, the old retired uh, Qantas planes. They pretty much took the whole battalion, so, like, 600 blokes down on one plane. It was absolutely crazy. And we get out there, and it was a two-month-long exercise, and it was just, oh. Just the word, like two months of just banging it in was terrible. Um, but so we did the first half and then we come back and we had showers, but not like normal showers. So they, I don't know if you've ever heard of a bucket shower, but it's just a canvas bag with like a little turnable like head under it. Oh. Um, <laughs> so you've got like all of these, like it's like a sort of like a closed building and it's like got all these steel bars along the roof and you can like, it's like a rope that goes over the bar and you're like hoist it up and then you can walk underneath your canvas bag, which is all of like, it's like an eight liter bag and you turn it on. That's how you shower and you can like drop it down and fill it up. So you've got like, you know, like it's making me and all my mates went up for a shower and we hadn't showered and yeah, obviously like a very long time. And like, we're all like naked, like filling up these buckets and to have a shower for the first time in over a month, is just an ungodly feeling. It is one of the greatest things you'll ever experience. Um, but they, between the two exercises, they gave us 20 hours off in Rockhampton. They're like, yep, go pick up supplies, like, you know, food, get accommodation, get on the piss, do whatever you want. And within 20 hours, like it was, it was like, like we drank way too much alcohol. I think a couple of dudes ended up with tattoos uh, it was like a Wednesday night. Like they they all got a tattoo down their forearm in Morse code, and it all it just said was "fuck." <laughs> and they were, they were really really good blokes um, that I spent a lot of time with. But like, how do you get a tattoo on a Wednesday night and you've got twenty hours in town? And like, we're all eating KFC and all that sort of stuff. But you imagine going from living on you know basically the bare minimum and water for a month and then you suddenly smash kfc and beer and whatever else in the mix your stomach just cannot handle it so yeah. you must was... have had like two beers and been gone if you'd <laughs> been on that kind of diet for that long yeah oh dude i re- i remember tipping out like we were like we we're getting wild and i tipped out like a flower vase we're at an airbnb and i emptied this flower vase and i was drinking beers from this flower vase and one of my really good mates lewis alicon um started singing like there's like a like a beer chant we have it's like um it's sort of like he's the air he's true blue he's a piss pot through and through and like someone starts singing that so yeah they get to the countdown you gotta like neck your beer so i've necked this bloody flower vase full of beer and i got really gassy as you do drinking beer and i was like burping and i was like oh no i like wandered over to the garden and then my section commander was like you're right mate i'm like yeah i'm all good and I like burped and just like projectile spewed oh, no. <laughs> into the garden. But I was like, I looked down and I could see like my KFC from like two hours prior. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it, it's not that it was so off-putting that I could see the chicken because I love chicken, but I have not had KFC since since then. Since that moment, I haven't eaten KFC. We'll, we'll blame it on the chicken. We'll blame it on the KFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, blame, we'll blame it. The chicken was no good. It wasn't it wasn't the three beers that I bloody sculled. <laughs> tell, us, tell us about the ration you were on. Uh, uh, so, hmm. interestingly enough, so they call a ration pack, so a 24-hour, basically for 24 hours, that's this little um, clear bag that's got all of your stuff in it. And granted, it does give you like the energy you need. It like gives you basically everything you need to survive. It's just not that great. Yeah. And so ours are prepared in New Zealand and New Zealand's are prepared in Australia. It's like a mutual pack we have. So we prepare their food, they prepare ours sort of thing. Um, but you got like a whole array of them. Like I think it's like A through to F. And they all have like different meals. So you get two main meals, uh, like a muesli, condensed milk, like a beef jerky, a fruit bar, an oat bar, like tea and coffee, Tabasco sauce, cheese, bread. But it's all sort of like preserved, like heavily preserved. Um, and the main meals can range from everything from hearty beef stew to like spaghetti and meatballs. And it does taste better. Like you meant to like, put that packet into hot water to warm it up, but it, it can just be annoying. So what most of us do is you just like tear the corner off it. And cause we call them like, they're called wetties cause it's like a, a wet meal, but you just tear the corner off and just like, basically like you're drinking like the sludge. A spaghetti bolognese frib. That's what that says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have fribs in Australia? Uh, no, no idea what that is. You know, there's like literally just like a like a, a soft tube of yogurt. Yeah. Yogurt. Oh yeah. So it sounds like <coughs> um jings. Yeah, that, that's rough. I bet like but see it sounds rough, right? But how much like now like you will appreciate just small <laughs> things like going for a shower every day, having proper meals every day, like oh, it's it's like you definitely like um when you're back into it for a while you take you all take it for granted. It's like you know when your nose gets clogged and you suddenly remember all the times that you didn't yeah. have a clogged nose. It's like that. Um, no, it is. I I absolutely loved it. Just getting dirty, just getting filthy, you bloody. Because like most times, like I remember we when I first got up here, we were out there for three or four weeks and it was so hot, man. In the, in Darwin, it's so hot. Like I think I lost probably 11 or 12 kilos in that, like within that short amount of time. Jeez. I didn't and think like, I kilos to lose, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, we call it a field shred. Like you get out there and dudes like lose 16, 17, 18 kilos within a matter of a month or two. Like it's crazy. You like, they go out there a bit, you know, a bit chuggy and they come back abbed up. You're like, bro, like you look great. He's like, I feel terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be like this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You you've you've lived this life, Duncan. You've you went pretty pretty swiftly out of school into this into this, and you've had that ACL injury, um, or injuries, I should say. Uh, what what's the next thing? What's next? Are you, are you continuing with the army, or is there something new on on the? Uh, so as of the sixteenth of June, so nearly a month ago, I I left the army, which was quite an emotional uh, process, I guess. Like I, I like I was I was keen to leave. And I was like, the army isn't what I kind of want it to be anymore. Like we've sort of focused on the wrong sort of things. And I think it's a, like a part of society itself. Society is sort of becoming a bit, a bit soft, I think. 
Um, and so the army wasn't focused on what it should have been. So a lot of us have, were leaving and sort of the day I was leaving, I had all my paperwork finalized. And one of the, the sort of the newer guys, he's like, he's like, man, you must be so keen. And I remember saying to him, I was like, look, dude, like I'm, I'm keen to see what happens next. But I was like, I'm nowhere near as happy as I thought I would be. Like my happiness levels does not reflect what's happening right now. And I remember like I had a couple of beers and like a farewell uh, with my mates. And I was like walking out the back gate by myself. Like I was bawling my eyes out. First time I'd cried in like probably two years. Yeah, bloody bawled my little eyes out and then got home and sorted myself out. Uh, But next step from here is Queensland Police. So I'll go back to my home state and uh, join the police. I think that should be all right. You're saying about bawling your eyes out though, and you almost sort of say it like you feel silly doing that. You're you're leaving a family, yeah. I mean that's that's it's a. I mean you spoke about that bond of, I'll take a bullet for you, you know, or or whatever the same was. You know, I'm willing to die for you. I think you said, that's a fucking strong bond. Like, yeah, it, you. That's a difficult thing to walk away from. It's yeah. Which like I sort of look back and I like I definitely understand that now. But it's just like at the time I did feel silly. I was like, oh dang, like man's man's out here balling my eyes out. But I do look back on it and think, well, that's fair enough. Um, but it, it does make it it better. Like a lot of my mates, like sort of like the mates I came up with, like they've all gone on to their own things. So it's it's not so bad because now that's all that's left is sort of like you know people that you hadn't spent so long with. So it was a bit easier to leave. Uh, when I did, um, but I message, I still keep in touch with all my mates in defense. And it's sort of like, I, I, you only ever really miss your friends. Like I don't really miss the workplace. Or if if I think I do, I just message them. I'm like, hey, like, what are you up to? Like, tell me what, what you're doing today. And then they tell me that they're doing like the stupidest thing. Like imagine it's a good analogy I once heard was the defense sometimes can be like eating soup with a fork. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a yeah. It's just a it's a beast, but it's a very slowly evolving beast that doesn't really care for the lower echelon of troops, which is fair enough. But it's it's not fair enough though, because that's that's the the backbone on which it's built, isn't it? Every single person it is, but that troop has been that troop before. Well, not every single person, but a lot. You you you're moving away from what is. <clears throat> national international level defense to sort of local more regional district based defense though so it's still i know it's not called defense in the police but you know some form of civilian protection obviously something you want to work want to move into and still a sort of similar similar thing how do you think it's going to change getting into the police as getting into the army um i think i think it's very similar i'm i'm unsure if we have to hold the same security clearance Okay. To get into the defense, you have to hold like a negative vetting level one uh, security clearance. Not that I really understand what that means. It's just I'm <laughs> apparently trusted to know some stuff. But everything I know personally, and I can say this for basically every soldier right up until maybe sergeant, everything we know, you can find on Google. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's just they're like, oh, like you can't tell these secrets. So, mate, you can go search that on Google right now and have that information. That's um, okay. Yeah. But as far as police goes, I'm I'm pretty keen to try, like, so far, like, I'm still doing all the paperwork process, which has been a bit of a drag. But they seem pretty, um, 
like strict on who they want to take like you've got to like pass the aptitude test and then you like set like a panel review board and they kind of talk to you and then you got like a a psychologist analysis and all that sort of stuff and then you still have to go to the college for eight months oh really Um, yeah so it's quite long which you know i don't think it's you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's somewhat military and they start yelling at me because, you know, I've, I've known that life. I'd love to see some, you know, poor 19-year-old who's wanting to join the cops just get abused. And I just think it'd be funny to watch. But at the same time, I do think it's going to be very adult-based structure and, like, they are teaching you to basically uphold the laws of society. So I don't think it will be like that. I suppose you think eight months college is quite a while, but, like they'll be like you've got to know all laws like yeah you yeah and that's it you know what i mean and my memory is not the greatest so unfort like in as much as i said i'd hate to go back to school i think like in a, in a sense i will be you know like i'll for sure be putting in the work to study but at the same time you know they we get to shoot um they obviously give you the a pistol to shoot and they teach you how to use it but coming from defense and like so we still use the same service pistol that was around for Vietnam, the Mark III Browning High Power. Right. Like it, it is like, it's a workhorse. It's a good pistol and it works, but it's not that great, especially when you compare it to what the police have, say like a Glock 17 or a Glock 19. Like it is just, it's old. And yeah. what, why is that? Is that funding, do you think? It's the main thing for that? It just takes, like I said, like defense is a big beast and for new weapons to roll out, it just it takes a while. So to my understanding, we are, well, not we are, defense is getting a new weapons rollout, which is going to be like a whole new bunch of weapon systems, which is really, really good. Um, but even like our service rifle, um, the OS style, like it is, it's good. But when you compare it to like the American M4 or the the New Zealand's Marzell, it doesn't hold up. It's It's not as good. That's interesting. I'd have thought Australia would have been right at the pinnacle. Yeah, right at the top, yeah. Yeah, I really would have. I've no idea what the UK kind of ran. No, the Probably UK is like terrible. Oh, really? Um, well, I think, yeah, if you... Sorry. sorry. On you go. On you go. Um, if you ever get a chance, like you're, you're like near the British Army and they've got rifles and it's like a show day, go and hold it. It is absurdly heavy. Like, they made it way heavier than they needed to. It's, yeah, it's... It's like four kilograms as it is, which doesn't seem like much, but when you're bloody... Oh, wait, it's it's about all the time. Absolutely. Like, you, you know, imagine if you were four kilos heavier now, like just even walking all the time, it, you feel it more, uh, don't you? I feel like I fluctuate four kilos every week. But <laughs> <laughs> um, is your, you, you mentioned you're you're engaged. You said fiancé, didn't you, Duncan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is is a, is the good lady in any way involved in this side of things, or is she in normal civilian life, shall we say? No, well, she. Um, I met her in the army. She was a. Uh, we we call them truckies, but you know, they, they their job de- designation is driver specialist. So she spent a lot of her time, like driving military vehicles, I guess. And then she left about two years ago. She's um, working traffic control now. Um, mm. but she'll she'll do something. Oh, like, I don't know yet. So she'll do something. When I go to the college, she'll have to go. She'll, she'll head back home. So she comes off, uh, I'd, I'd call it a, a farm because it's it's about 150 acres, um, just uh, just north of the border of New South Wales. Great. So she'll go home and hang out there for a while while I go to the college. And then afterwards, 
she'll figure, I guess she'll figure it out. I think she's, she's kind of told me she like, eventually she wants to be, you know, like a stay at home mom and that, which, which is um definitely okay with. Absolutely. See, that's what we call a normal farm over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, have your place. I remember your place was decently, decently big. Yeah, but not not one hundred and ten thousand acres, Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> you'd look at this. You'd look at this clock and think that's quite a big clock. You'd be like, it's like a watch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what size is yours? Uh, in total, about eight hundred acres. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's hefty. Yeah, that's like stock, like stocking density wise, I suppose. Like we're we'll be running it like one one to an acre, which is pretty. Yeah. Like the land is pretty good. There's not many acres that we can't make much out of. So, um, that's the main difference with this, was in it. Like there'll be acres that you don't even know what's happening. I suppose when you've got that many. We semi arid in a lot of places, I guess. <clears throat> not desert, but like very. Yeah. 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 No, interesting stuff. Here, do you know this is the type of chat, right? That I, I reckon if if I meet Duncan in person, we go to the pub. We're going to open up more of it. I think there's some stuff we just yeah. can't say on camera. Yeah, absolutely. It's been oh, like, yeah. For sure. it's been so interesting to chat, though, man. Honestly, I've loved this. Really yeah. good, Ed. Your first person to arrange a guest. You've yeah. done well. Fair yeah, I, t- I told you it was a good one. I'm going to ask you one ah. question. We, as co-hosts, have forgotten something. The question. Can you remember what it was? I was hoping you had it written in your book. I do, which is on Aaron. Uh, <clears throat> so we have a thing, um, Duncan, where we ask each guest to basically ask a question for the next guest. Who's it, Ross? It was Ross. Was it, was it something to do with what country you'd want to work in? Or have I imagined that entirely? We could go back, but that seems a bit <clears throat> mental. But basically, we have a thing where whichever guest was on before, they ask a question for the next person coming on. So that's that's giving you a little bit of heads up in about a minute's time. I'm going to ask you for a question for our next guest. But you could go and check, but I think we had a chat for 10 minutes after it. It'll be quite hard to find. So shall I just make up a question? <clears throat> yeah, go for that it. That's the easiest way, right? So uh, if you could go... On any, nope, that's rubbish. Do you know what? I'm going to go for it. That is rubbish, but I'm going to go for it, and I'll get you both to answer it. If you could go on any like circus, uh, theme park, whatever ride, what would it be? I know exactly the answer for this question. Well, I can't fun. remember the actual name of it, but the world's fastest roller coaster. Um, it's called the Porsche or something. Um, as as Reading into it the other day, it goes like 240 kilometers an hour. Exactly that one. World's fastest roller coaster. I would love to get in that bitch. Would you actually like that? Yeah. <coughs> there is Formula Rossa. That's the one. Yeah. 240k an hour. What's that? 140 miles an hour. James. The. So, oh, not far from where you were. It's Abu Dhabi. Wow. Could have gone. Oh, we've got the actual question. That was I've, I've got the question. Sorry, we've got the real question. That oh, was a send the question. Um, if you were to do right, okay. So there's obviously two things that you can't say for this. Uh, what you've just been doing and what you're going to do. If you're going to do a different job to what you do now, 
Um, what would it be and why? Good question. And there, there's several answers I want to give. Um, but one I've done in the past, not being defense, like being a farmer, I think a very honorable career, you know, absolute <laughs> backbone of many nations. Um, but seeing as I've done that, I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there. I would like to try, um, not that I'm a fan of water, but I reckon I'd really get behind like going out, like fishing, like on big, big fishing vessels. Oh, I reckon I that'd be, that. Yeah. That'd be a gnarly, gnarly. Cause like the ocean's a beast. You know what I mean? Like go out there, pitch black at night, the waves throwing you around. I just reckon it'd be a hell of a life. I agree. Yeah. I get this vibe of you. You just love living on edge. Oh yeah. What's what's the point of sitting stale? You know what I mean? Like life's meant to I'm so here for it. But it's like <laughs> if you go through them like being in the army, like and being in the police, both jobs like there's that chance every day you wake up and you're like, there could be something serious happen. And yeah. like fishing, it's it it's maybe like it, well, it's just the same. Dangerous. It's yeah. just as dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not right. someone that likes living the edge, but I just love being on a boat. Like we went, yeah. we went with it's not compared to like sort of open water fishing, but we went to Amsterdam. We got the boat, and it was a horrible night. And everyone was in their cabin, like under the duvet, shitting themselves. And I went out and just sat out in the rain. Like I absolutely loved it. Oh, <laughs> I loved it. absolutely loved it. What would yours be if you could be in? If I if not I could be in, um, what would it be? Uh, Mine's so boring, man. I think I would actually uh, be a physio because, like, I don't know, I just really, like, like I hate not knowing what is wrong with my body. It's annoying, isn't it? That's a, that's a very valid point. You ever get, like, those weird chest pains after too much caffeine and you're like, today's the day? <laughs> yeah. I've been in a rock and it's going to be a coffee that's going to take me. Oh, dude. Oh, it just brought me back. So there was a, an American drink called Rip It. And it's this, a can this big and it is nothing but sugar and caffeine. Like, I reckon there's like 100 milligrams of caffeine in that bad boy. And we'd go to the gym most days and like we got to a point, like we're all on um, just taking copious amounts of caffeine. And I remember I double scooped my pre-workout, which is like 400 milligrams as is, and then drank with drank it with a rip it. And I like <laughs> got to the gym and we were doing deadlifts. And I like I finished like doing a real heavy set and had to like lay on the ground. I was like having heart palpitations. I was like, today's the <laughs> oh man. It's it's a 500 mil can with 33.81 milligrams per hundred. It's oh, 160 milligrams. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Jesus, man. That is brutal. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't drink coffee. That The only caffeine I really take in is Diet Coke here and there. And no, um, I don't drink coffee either. <laughs> yeah, when I sort of started the gym last year, uh, go quite norm, quite often now, but I'd never done it before then. I was like, oh, everyone gets protein shakes and they get um, pre-workout. And I tried this pre-workout, man. I was shaking to the gym like I was home <laughs> after an hour session with the gym. It's like it was, it was, it was else. If I was to do another job, right? This is tragic. There's probably something more fun and exciting out there, but I really want to try marketing. Yeah, really yeah. want to try marketing. I think I'd be quite good at it. Yeah, I could see you. In that. If you're if you're a friendly bloke and you can bloody 
you know, talk the ears off a deaf man, I think you'd do really well. Because it's yeah, all, it's all, yeah, yeah well, I think. Before it was awkward to try to talk to deaf. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I couldn't try that, but yeah. Right, Duncan, for our next guest, who will either be a rugby player or an engineer, I can't actually remember who we're going to have first, but one of them, um, what would your question to them be? And we'll try to answer them now. I'll go, I'll, I'll go with the theme of living on the edge. Would they rather skydive or bungee jump? Oh, that's a good one. Because I know I'd rather skydive. Bungee jumping's all weird. 100% rather skydive because if you hit the ground in either, it's going to hurt, right? But I can't see myself getting ripped in two by a bungee cord if I'm skydiving. I just feel like that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and having, I've, I've been skydiving and like, man, you feel like a bird. You're like 18,000 feet up. And he's like, you want to do a couple of rolls? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. You like tumble out. And then he just like sort of like opens his arms and like you're just free falling towards the earth. And you're like, all I thought the whole time was, man, I could be a bird. This is sweet. So cool. That's class. (laughs) I love the idea of both, to be fair. Now I'm thinking about it. It's like bungee jumping. I suppose like you're jumping off something and you're like, I think I'm going to come up at some point. Yeah, it should be all right. <laughs> it's like you're just waiting for it, and then next thing you know, bang, <laughs> it's because you're up. But nah, I think I'll go skydiving. No? Is, is I, just, a... I just don't know if you'd reach the, the required height to do a, a bungee jump. Wow. Okay. <laughs> See, and also, they're probably the same for you. Sorry, <laughs> I had to get in. <laughs> you made the plane take off like a piece of bread from skydiving as well. Like you hear Sky flop, not die. <laughs> Just hear Sky news. Human earthquake. Uh, <laughs> man shatters tectonic plate. Uh, <laughs> get on the plane. They're like, you're the size of the pilot, co pilot, and you uh, guide together. Oh, jigs. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Episode we've done, I've taken the absolute piss out of myself. Anyway, it, it always happens at this stage as well. It always happens. I don't know. It just we start spiraling when we get to the questions. It's, it's just <laughs> that's what happens. You start going delirious, man. <laughs> I know. So you you were taught you said earlier, and you're like sort of like you know living living the life on the edge. And I what what I think I put it down to is something I heard probably three or four years ago and actually probably the greatest piece of advice for anyone who's not really religious in any sense but wants to believe in something is I saw something other a while ago and it said the only thing I ever hope for is that I'm worthy to sit at the table of my ancestors so I took I took that as imagine right so I spent my whole life sort of not doing these cool things or not say expressing myself or not, you know, getting out and getting amongst it. Like imagine spending your whole life not touching grass. You've just sat in your mum's basement and you've played computer games. And then say you see your ancestors in the next life and you've got all of these great people at this long table who have survived and fought their way through life to give you life. And you're just a a dweeb. You know what I mean? I could think of nothing worse. First off. I think you're the first person that said that word in 120 episodes apart from me on the podcast. Dweeb <laughs> is an amazing word. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> would you be good enough to set a table of your ancestors? I love that because yeah, I like that. I mean, I, like I that idea. I probably shouldn't say this, but I can't stand religion. So, um, no, neither. I'm not. I'm not religious in any sense. But I want to believe that you know, there's something else happens when you die. Like, yeah. although having yeah. been put under for surgery, having been put under for surgery, if that's what it's like, I'm cool with it too. That was a great sleep. It's here. It's in a been knocked out. For, I hate needles. Hate them. I'm gonna to have to get four jags next week, and I'm petrified, right? But <laughs> um, being knocked out, like getting the thing going up, I see why people are addicted to drugs, man. Oh my god, it's amazing. Have you had it? Yeah, I'm, it's hey, awesome. I'm awesome. Nah, well, gas is decent, yeah, but you get the thing in there, and it just—it's like it makes you just want to tense everything you have. It's so sore, but it's addicting, and then you die. It's amazing. Yeah, you you, you straight up like you straight up die, and they keep you a little bit alive. Yeah, how cool is that? that is how cool, cool is that? I, I, I love that idea, to be fair. Um, just kind of, yeah, you've got to do the most in your life while you can. Like, you've no idea what's around the corner. Like, so many people, like, especially through COVID and that, so many people were like, oh, I'm not doing that. And it's like, why not doing it? Well, in case you get ill or in case I die. It's like, well, would you rather just sit in your house doing absolutely nothing? Absolutely. Or just die having fun or live being boring. COVID was a hoax. Probably should have oh, yeah. I, got, I got COVID and I've had worse hangovers. Well, I, I had like a runny nose for like half a day and that was it. In COVID, I never even tested positive once. Did you not? Not once. In, in, COVID defense, in COVID's defense, I did have it once and I was like you, like had a lame stuff and I was Gucci, but. The second time I had to go hospital to get blood tests, like it knocked me bad. Really, He's but, really soft. Well, I also <laughs> did you get the vaccinations? He would not make it through an army camp, put it that way. <laughs> I could knock yeah. I'm had to had to get um had to get both and a booster. But you said you're scared of needles, so this you'll love this. When you go through basic training camp, unless you can take evidence of uh of your needle history, like all of your immunizations. They just think, oh, well, you don't have proof, so we can give them all to you again. So I went there and I had no proof of all of my needling history. And one, you go back down to the, like the health center. And my first visit to the health center, I think they gave me five or six needles. Ooh, and the next day I felt like I had autism. I was just cooked <laughs> on every level. I would offer the opportunity to every person in my battalion to punch me as hard as they want in the stomach before. Yeah. Like, so there's but there's there's dudes who were there who who were covered in tattoos you know like i've got bloody tattoos and i'm not scared of needles but there were dudes who had like a full body of tattoos petrified of needles i'm like what like what are you doing it's just it's irrational man like i mean when, so i got i got two covid vaccines and i did it because basically everyone made me feel like i had to but the when it was on the news all the time and everything like i mean there's not many things phase me like i would sh- i'm sure yeah. you'll back that up in fairness yeah, yeah. like social wise physically whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. but it just ruined me and i i had this story of like my partner and i at the time we went to the bora bora i had a nice prawn a uh, a uh, prawn carbonara jessida butter chicken curry like i had this full story that i could literally get about 20 minutes out of for when i sat in that room like I am not here. Do what you need. I am not here. Because I, I faded both times. Like, man, I'm just... Yeah. Oh, God. I know what I'm getting him for his birthday now. I'm going to get him a session of acupuncture. 
But in oh. fairness, the best <laughs> thing I've ever had medically is acupuncture. Well, you haven't it again. No, honestly, my knee, <laughs> my knee had blown up. This was a couple of years ago. And we're videoing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do cry. But they put three needles in that ear. It was my left knee. And the inflammation level, I don't know what unit it's in, but it was at 130 and they say you want it to be at 20. And they put three needles in my ear for 15 minutes, three sets of two weeks apart. So over the course of four weeks, and that inflammation level went down to 28. That's wild. Men, yeah, insane. Like, insane. Acupuncture, we need to get an acupuncture person on because they're able to yeah. um, anaesthetize people with acupuncture. There's there's doctors... Oh, it's dangerous. You can paralyze people for life. Insane. If, you, if yeah. you do it wrong. Like, I'm sure there's places in the back. Right, depending on who you're doing it to. Uh, but no, here, let's not speak to any needles because I did have to leave the room earlier and I will collapse if we keep going. Um, <clears throat> Duncan, it really has been a pleasure. Yeah, uh, it's been awesome, mate. Thank you for coming on. For those no, listening. It's awesome, awesome to talk to you guys. Good to see Ed's body, young mug. I don't believe <laughs> you're probably <laughs> Yeah, it's been class to catch up, man. Um, it has been really good. I'm, uh, I'm actually hoping to go over to Australia next year, um, kind of April time, maybe. So. Awesome. Uh, you let me know so, when you're here and I'll be available. Yeah. Well, make, I'll make sure to catch up with you, pal. Legend. Man, this is I so emotional. That's lovely. What a, nice, what a nice note to end on. Um, but yeah, thank you very much, Duncan. For those of you listening, I apologise. I've been coughing the whole way out, the whole way through. <laughs> you, It's not on YouTube now. It's all Spotify for podcasts. I did actually have to walk away and get some water and it still didn't stop. But yep, Duncan, thank you very much. For those of you listening, it'll be... Uh, Heidi Wilson, the next episode um, of the Food and Farming podcast, the next episode of All In, <coughs> will either be with Bethany, uh, who'll talk about her her sort of career in, in engineering, uh, coming through an apprenticeship with Balfour Beatty as the plan, um, and the other person that we're considering who will pass you on to Ed is Gregor, if you want to tell a wee bit about him. Yeah, um, yeah. well, it was actually um, going to be Chris... Would um so he's uh ex professional fighter um who he's now just started playing rugby because he decided that he'd not battered his body enough in fifteen years of fighting. Um, when you say fighting, do you mean like cage? Um, we'll find out on the pod. Do you not know? Um, he just told me I was a, he was a professional fighter, and I didn't ask him any more questions because I didn't want to get punched. That's fun. It's really um, cool. Yeah, sparring like every <coughs> week. It's there, that's him. That in there. That's him there. Yeah. So he's a boxer. Yeah, would you? Jings. So continuing on on the theme of the Articast all in is myself and two fit people continuing as always. It seems to be how it is. But uh, yeah, thank you, thank you once more, Duncan. Appreciate your time. Um, it is almost breakfast time for you, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well past Ed's bedtime. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, man? Sorry. No, nah, I said I'll leave you to it. Cheers for having me on. Thank you very much. And for everyone listening, thank you for listening, as always. Cheers. See you later.